0: What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to episode two of Historically Athletic, a podcast that's focused on the past, present, and future of the NFL. Again, thank you all for joining us. I'm CY the guy. I'm here with my boy Big J. We really appreciate you guys uh, tuning into the first episode. Hope you enjoyed it. The second one is going to be focusing solely on the historical aspect. We're going to try a little different format today. Um, where we're just going to focus on the historical teams that we're going to be chatting about. Specifically, that's going to be the 1969 Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. They won Super Bowl IV. Um, In the last Super Bowl, that was uh, played between AFL and NFL teams. This was before the two leagues merged. And then we'll also be discussing the Super Bowl 54 champions, the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs. So, Big J, if you're uh, if you're ready, uh, you can take it away with regards to the 69 Chiefs and really appreciate you guys listening to us today.
1: Uh yes sir. So, you know, the Super Bowl uh 4 ended up coming out to a Kansas City Chiefs win. They won 23-7 over the Buck Bud Grant led Minnesota Vikings and those purple people eaters of that defensive line. Um, you know, the Vikings were favored by 13 going into that game. Um, they led the NFL in total points scored and fewest points allowed uh,
0: that season, so you would think that the Vikings would have had the shot, right? You would certainly think so, especially because, as you already mentioned, you know you're going into that game at Tulane at Old Tulane Stadium in New Orleans. This is before the Superdome was built, so this was outdoor. And if you know anything about New Orleans' weather, it can be notoriously wet, depending on the time of year. And they definitely ran into that into this ball game, but. You know, it's just crazy to think about that D-line when you've got Jim Marshall, he of running the ball the uh, incorrect way in that NFL Films blooper that you see every <laughs> once in a while. For him to come back from that and be recognized more for being on that big Purple People Eaters defensive line is pretty incredible. Let's
1: go Let's go through it. You know, that defensive line was anchored by, you know, like you said, Jim Marshall, but you had Alan Page, Carl Eller, and Gary Larson, all very, very good defensive linemen.
0: And then, you know, you obviously have Bud Grant coaching the Vikings at that stage. Uh, of course, has an excellent reputation, a sterling reputation in Minnesota. The guy in Kansas City was no slouch. Oh. I mean, Hank Stram and his and his triple stack defense and his, um, his moving pocket offense, I mean, he was absolutely an innovator. And one of the neat things is, you know, Stram was the first uh, coach that NFL films mic'd up um, for a Super Bowl. So and you see that clip all the time. Constantly. Anytime you see
1: NFL films, you're always seeing that song, that, that clip in there. And it's so cool to, to know that that was the first time that they mic'd it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was another little tidbit there that you had given me earlier before, saying that the CBS broadcast game um, was in the United States, but up until this point, you know, back in history, they would erase the videotape few days later after the game you know the videotape was expensive was expensive back then so networks didn't think old games were worth saving
0: which is kind of crazy so it's nuts to think about it in that context considering what we know now what we know now the archives of the nfl and the nfl films you know library is out there it's just why wouldn't you want to keep that but at some at sometimes though you might want to think that you don't know if this league is going to last beyond that point. You don't know what the popularity of the league and in the, in the game is going to be like. I mean, at like. that
1: time, too, college football was king. You Huge. Know, college football ran was, was what it was, what people wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. Speaking of what people wanted to watch, in that Super Bowl, Super Bowl Four, Chiefs versus the Minnesota Vikings, there was 80,562 in attendance. At that time, it was the highest for any, for any of the Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're— pre-afl nfl merger but that was still the highest attendance so that's kind of cool too you know it's starting to pick up that game or that ground starting to get more popular within the fan base
0: yeah i think they ended up having what about 44 million viewers in the u.s ended up watching that game i mean obviously we're we're used to seeing people you know around 100 million viewers on the in the super bowl just in the u.s alone and that's not counting outside of the country, so it kind of speaks to the growth of the game itself that it's seen over the past 50 or so years. But I think we can probably go into a little bit more detail and kind of discussing the Chiefs in terms of their playoff run, key players, that kind of deal, because obviously they were the ones that ended up winning this ball game and winning it quite convincingly. Quite convincingly. (laughs) Um, So, funnily enough, the Chiefs finished second in their division that year, but because of a new AFL playoff format, they actually gained entry into the playoffs – and they finished 11 and 3. Their only losses were to the Cincinnati Bengals 24 to 19 and uh, to the Raider into uh, the Raiders twice. So the two teams they lost to were Cincinnati and uh, Oakland, but they lost to the Raiders twice, 27-24 and then 10 to 6. So well, they, they never got up, blown out.
1: And they ended up getting the revenge on the Raiders, guys. They played the Raiders in the AFL Championship game um and won 17-7 in that game. So they—they mm-hmm. they, it's hard to beat a team three times. As it the is. Saints, it as is. As the Saints Absolutely. from last year.
0: <laughs> and not to mention, you know, the team that uh, Kansas City ended up beating in the divisional round, they ended up beating the defending Super Bowl and AFL champs in the New York Jets 13-6. to So it's not like Kansas City was going through cream puffs to get to this title game. Yeah, they had a season where they finished second in their division, but they were no slouches. The, not at all. And, you know, the players that they had on that team – There are a couple that you can really think of as iconic in Kansas City history. I mean, any Chiefs fan would probably mention Len Dawson, their quarterback. Uh, Bobby Bell, their linebacker defensive end hybrid. William Lanier. And then, of course, Buck Buchanan, who really revolutionized uh, the defensive tackle position through that triple stack defense. I know Josh will get into a little more detail on that here in a minute. And then you also have Mike Garrett, uh, former Heisman Trophy winner at the University of Southern California. And then you also had Robert Holmes at running back and Otis Taylor at wide receiver. And Josh, what were the, really the differences compared to the running back committees that you see in terms of how running backs rotate in the NFL th- in these days compared to what happened back in those days when it was more running game predicated in the NFL?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Back back in those days, man, it was really cool. They did a lot of the split back you know, uh, position or formation. You have a tight end on the uh, up on the line in three point stance. You have your two running backs. You split back behind the quarterback, and most of the time, one receiver, two receivers on the on the outside. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they still threw the ball, but they they went through the running game, and it's really cool because see why the guy re- references those two running backs, Mike Garrett and Robert Holmes, throughout the season. Garrett ran for 732 yards, six touchdowns. Um, He also recorded 43 receptions, 432 yards, and two touchdowns. So you can see that he ran almost as much as he caught the ball. And then Robert Holmes had another 612 rushing yards, 266 uh, receiving yards, and five total touchdowns. So even though – it, it, you think about the, the way the game has changed today. You have your dominant running backs but we do more committee based. You're not seeing the two split backs in the in the formation. You're seeing more of the subbing in and out. you have seen more of your receiving backs coming in on third down, things like that. But back in those days they had both starting running backs out
0: there almost ninety five percent of the time. You and needed you more still depth see. in that position because of the injuries and that kind of deal too. Exactly. I mean exactly and it's just it's interesting to think about what, you know, those Bell Cow fantasy running backs and running backs in in real life, uh, like Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook, they can do both. But you also know that Alexander Madison with the Vikings is a really good understudy for him uh, in Minnesota specifically. So it's interesting to see how the game has changed. And, of course, Otis Taylor, the wideout for the Chiefs that year, had 41 catches for 696 yards and seven touchdowns. That's mediocre no, that's, for that's, a season. For 41
1: catches for a season, today's receivers would be light, losing their minds.
0: Well, that just wouldn't It wouldn't add up. But this is just a much more passing-focused league. I know that the rule changes and things of that nature have had something to do with that. Spread offenses have become a little bit more in vogue. But what's interesting about this season is Len Dawson, their legendary quarterback in Kansas City, had a knee injury in the middle of the season. But their third-string quarterback, Mike Livingston, was able to reel off a five-game winning streak to kind of steady the ship for them. Um. Overall, overall, Len only threw for 1,323 yards and nine touchdowns and 13 interceptions. That's a lot of interceptions. You wouldn't, like in you wouldn't necessarily associate those types of statistics in a season for a Super Bowl-winning legendary quarterback. But again, with that injury and how different the game was back then, you can kind of get a feel for why dawson had those statistics and why things were kind of moving in that direction but can you give a little bit more detail about um the triple stack defense and really how well kansas city was able to employ their linebackers and their d-line to stifle offenses in that era hank strams
1: version of triple triple stack defense basically what it is you got your three linebackers and they're lining up over their defensive tackles defensive ends instead of inside the gaps Giving them more or less leeway to go through which side they want to pick left, they want to pick right. You know which gap they want to go through. Also giving them a little bit more room to just roam and make their plays that they needed to. Um, as a matter of fact, that defense helped them hold five teams to fewer than ten points. They actually led the AFL in the fewest rushing yards, fewest passing yards, and total yards allowed.
0: They were no slouches. Minnesota came in here with the more ballyhooed defense because the NFL had more of the press coverage. They had more of the media. So, of course, you would think, okay, they're playing against a league that's a little more established over time. They have the statistics to back it up. What's this Kansas City offense going to be able to do against them? But then... You can't look at Kansas City and say that they weren't great on defense too, based on how well they've played throughout that season. Oh,
1: how well they played throughout that game! They had three interceptions and two fumble recoveries on defense, so mm-hmm. that definitely helped in that twenty-three to seven win. You it know. did.
0: I mean, Minnesota only had sixty-seven yards rushing, and the crazy thing is, is you know Kansas City is the only team in the Super Bowl era to win a title without allowing more than ten points in any postseason game. That that is that's a big dominant. Stat defense that's That's, That's that's, huge i I never i I never knew that until i really started digging into the digging into the statistics but that's you want to talk about the dallas cowboys doomsday defenses the no-name defense in miami the steel curtain none of those defenses accomplished what this kansas city defense accomplished in the playoffs that's absolutely insane um but you got to really look at that look back at how the game has changed and how things have flowed but it really is amazing that it took Kansas City that long to get their second Super Bowl, you know, with right. how good this team was, you would probably expect them to win a couple more, but it just didn't, it didn't necessarily turn out that way. But that might be a good, uh, good segue into kind of comparing this team in '69, the first Super Bowl champion Chiefs team, to the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs team, which. A lot of folks that are listening will know the main players that the Chiefs roll out these days in order to, you know, continue their assault on the record books these days. <laughs> Patrick
1: Mahomes' craziness that he's got going on over there. But yeah, for sure, you know, 2019, like you said, 50 years from Kansas City's first Super Bowl to their second Super Bowl. I mean, that's, that's crazy. And it just showed, goes to show you that when these teams go back to back or um, they make those long runs, it, it's just how difficult it truly is, even going back, you know, to the 60s and the 70s. Um, but obviously, you talk about your 2019 uh, Kansas City Chiefs. you got Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones on that defensive line, and Frank Clark. Um, Tyron Matthew as well, he, you know, Honey Badger out there. Those are going to be like their main key players. But then they also had six Pro Bowlers on that team. And a few of them we w- w- would have already mentioned And obviously Mahomes, Kelsey, and uh, Hill. Um, but obviously Frank Clark was there chris jones but miko hardman he was a special teams uh pro bowler that year
0: that doesn't surprise me considering the speed that he came out of when he came out when he came out of georgia he was known as a track star he was known as a uh bolt of lightning and he's he's still doing that i mean he's he's still still developing i mean the guy's got speed for days and then of course the four all pro players that you mentioned you know you have hardman on the special team side you had kelsey getting an all pro nod you had tyron matthew getting a pro an all pro nod and surprisingly, Mitchell Schwartz, that one of their offensive linemen, got an All-Pro nod that year. That's pretty and good.
1: I mean, obviously they missed that for the last year's Super Bowl. They needed they those did. offensive line for that they game, did. too. But.
0: but then you think about their, their coaching staff and how they were able to get through things. I know we had discussed Bud Grant and Hank Stram, two larger-than-life personalities in a lot of respects. And you think about the head coach, the, the Chiefs, he was obviously still there now, and Andy Reid, he built up his reputation in San Francisco at first as an, as an assistant coach, and then he ended up going over to uh, uh, to Philadelphia and having a great run. I know we discussed his Eagles teams, and, and they would just frustrate the heck out of the Bucks. For years for in the years, playoffs, they would frustrate the heck out of the Cowboys. They, they, Those Reed and Donovan McNabb teams were
1: really good. I mean, Andy Reid is kind of a you know a revolutionary in his own right for the offensive game, too. Absolutely. You know, when if, he was in Philly, like you said, with Donovan McNabb.
0: But the thing is, is now with Reed in Kansas City, he had won, you know, th- this was going to be their fourth straight AFC West title that they ended up clinching this season. He had Steve Spagnuolo there as a defensive coordinator who, you know, Spags made his name with the Giants cooking up game plan. Sure originally. And then, of course, the name that gets circulated around quite a bit when it comes to NFL coaching vacancies right now, Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. I mean, it's been said multiple times how much Mahomes appreciates his innovation and appreciates his expertise. I mean, the Chiefs have a top-flight staff. And then, of course, Brenton Beach, their GM, putting all these pieces together to build the outstanding roster that quite frankly is still enduring to this day, with yeah. the you know, the Chiefs end up going into the Super Bowl last year. Even down all those players and all those injuries, they were still able to fight through that. But, you know, this is this is focusing on nineteen. And the crazy thing is, there were three big players that the Chiefs actually released in the lead up to this season. They released Justin Houston, their stud defensive end. They released Eric Berry, their stud safety, who unfortunately had sickness and injury issues. And then they traded away their, one of their stud corners in Marcus Peters, yeah. who ended up being a great acquisition for Baltimore. He definitely
1: helped them with that run for sure. He they did really well too.
0: So during that season, the Chiefs went 12 and four during the regular season. They lost to the Colts 19 to 13, the Texans 31 24, the Packers 31 24, and then the Titans 35 to 32.
1: Notice all those games were pretty much high-scoring games except for that Colts one with that defense in that that year. It's
0: kind of interesting, though. I would have expected Mahomes to throw for more touchdowns. He only had 26 touchdowns. Only five interceptions, so that's solid as a rock. But when you're throwing for four thousand yards, I would have expected more uh, regular season touchdowns. Truth be told, but you would you would you would definitely
1: think you would definitely think that too. But also, Mahomes uses his legs a lot. He also gets in there. He'll push it in the end zone, running the ball, extend those plays. Which obviously, for that season, he ran for two hundred and eighteen yards and had two scores.
0: Of course, and then of course Travis Kelsey, you know his stud tight end, ended up having ninety seven catches for a thousand and two hundred and twenty nine yards and five touchdowns. He's the first NFL tight end to have four consecutive thousand yard seasons. I mean, if that doesn't tell you how that how defines
1: important Kelsey is to that offense. Yeah. Obviously. That, that
0: that's greatness. You yeah. can't you can't deny that.
1: He was three catches away from a hundred, too. three
0: catches away from one hundred right? reception. So they ended up being the number two seed in the AFC that season behind the Ravens, and Lamar Jackson had his MVP season that year. Yes, so that's when Lamar really broke out. And yet During their playoff run, the Chiefs ended up beating the Texans 51 to 31 after falling behind 24 to nothing into the second quarter, which is just an absurd comeback. I still remember watching that game and thinking, this is over.
1: Because Deshaun Watson
0: was no slouch on the other end. I mean, the Texans had a good team, but they were at home at Arrowhead, you know, in Kansas City. And I just – I remember thinking, like, if they can chip away at this, they might have a chance.
1: And as quickly as they that, that offense can score, it's no wonder, you know, because that's the thing is football can change on a dime. The momentum can change on a dime. We just witnessed that with, you know, the last few games on Thursday Night Football, which we'll get into. But there's a lot of things that go into factor. So when you're down 24 nothing but you have an offense that can score on one play for 80 yards, throwing it to Tyreek Hill, throwing it to Mikko Hardman, like you said, we're using that speed. I mean, twenty-four nothing is not that big of a deficit. <laughs> when
0: you when you can when you have a quick strike offense like that, absolutely, and it certainly helps that you have a quarterback in Mahomes that can make those off-platform throws. And he's just a—I still remember watching him when he was at Texas Tech. You know, he was in the same conference as, as my Texas Longhorns, and he just—he diced defenses up. He, he really did. But he just did. Around. He didn't have the—he didn't have the talent around him at Tech that he has at um, at Kansas City. Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, it's just a different—it's a different <laughs> ball game. So then. After they beat the Texans fifty-one to thirty-one, they beat the Titans and and avenged that loss that they had to them. They in the regular season they beat the Titans 35-24 in the AFC Championship game, and then ended up beating the 49ers thirty-one to twenty to win Super Bowl LIV in Miami. It's of course the second title in history, but that was not an easy ball game for them to win by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, no, they
1: were down. They were down uh, leading up to the fourth quarter, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. They were. So the game was tied at ten at the half. The Niners ended up building a 20 to 10 lead hitting into the fourth. In the final 6 minutes and 13 seconds of the game, the Chiefs outscored the 49ers 21 to nothing. I still remember watching that ball game with you at your house. Yeah, Big we J. had a
1: Super Bowl party that year and mm-hmm. it was and a great I, game to We watch. couldn't believe it. We, uh, yeah, we it was, really couldn't. I mean, I, like I just got done saying, when you have that speed on the outside, you have the ability to score with one play six minutes 13 seconds that that's an eternity for this this team and like you just said 21 to nothing they scored three touchdowns in six minutes albeit giving the
0: 49ers back and their defense stopping them each drive i mean it's, it's crazy and that's the, the nutty thing about it is the chiefs became the first nfl team to come back from a 10 point or more deficit in three playoff games in the same season so they pulled it off against the texans the titans and and, and the Niners in the which, Super Bowl which is nutty when you really I mean you want to talk about resilience and teams not giving up on the ghost I mean that that's just persistence very and you have to give them credit for that and you know that game was played at, at Hard Rock and in, uh, in Miami and you know it used to be Joe Robbie Stadium back in the 80s when it was first built but this this Super Bowl specifically was the 11th Super Bowl hosted by the South Florida region, and it was the sixth one played at Hard Rock Stadium. They ended up doing those new canopies. They ended up redoing it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for as a, for being a stadium nerd and an architecture nerd, that that stadium looks so much better after they did the renovations. Oh, yeah. It just, oh, yeah. it, it just really the nice. environment there just really works better. It was absolutely awesome to see that Miami was willing to make those changes and put that into motion. Um, I think we can probably move into the comparison between the two if you're ready for that. But did you have something in particular you want to point to, out? I
1: did want to point out something. You know, Mahomes won the MVP, obviously, that, that for that Super Bowl. But he threw two really bad interceptions in that game. And he was not perfect. He was not perfect. But that's the thing. That's the way the NFL works. You know, it's a quarterback-driven league. When you lead your team back 21 nothing in those final six minutes— He's gonna get that MVP. Speaking of two, we were talking earlier just about the attendance from that first Super Bowl, where it was what was it, eighty thousand five hundred sixty-two in attendance. You know, forty-four point two seven million watching it in the U.S. We go, we fast forward fifty years. We had a hundred and two million viewers on the Fox broadcast for that Super Bowl, and so, that's just in the U.S. And that's just in the U.S. So that, I mean, like again, a you third see of the, the country
0: is watching the Super Bowl. Yep, that's. It's the, biggest game. It's the biggest game of the year. It's absolutely nuts to think about it that way. And that Miami Stadium, you know, you, you think about NFL stadiums when it comes to capacities and stuff. You know, 80,000 is not something that every stadium can pull off these days. A lot of them are more geared towards, like, the 60 to 70 range. Of course, you have all the luxury suites and that kind of stuff. Yeah. The game has just changed. It's changed from a, I want to go watch the game to corporate hospitality in a lot of respects, to getting business pennies done. It's almost the same as going on the golf course and cutting a business deal. So <laughs> teams have started to understand the value of that, and they've started to cater towards those clients that can spend that type of dollar. But that just shows you the growth of the game. And, you know, I, as much as the the Cowboys fan in me is fascinated by this, Jerry Jones had a lot to do with that. Oh, they Jerry really, Jones. He really
1: did. He definitely brought that. I mean, you still see it today. Did you – fun fact real quick – Dallas Cowboys are the only NFL-licensed team that produces and does everything separately on their own. Yep. Everything that they go, goes right back to Jerry. Mm-hmm. Everyone else goes right back to the NFL and the other, the other owners. So, kind of yep. crazy little tidbit there. But definitely, let's move on. Let's compare those two teams, the 1969 Kansas City um, teams to the 2019. Obviously, if we're going to start talking offense, I mean, I don't know anyone that would debate me on this, but the 2019 offense. I mean, you can't you can't compare well, even with the rule changes.
0: No, I'm with you. I mean, don't get me wrong, you can't you can't say that Len Dawson wasn't a good quarterback. He's obviously iconic in Kansas City and accomplished a lot when he was there. And that offense that Stram devised in that era was very efficient at getting them where they needed to go because they could really rely on that defense to make big stops. For sure. But again, the game was different. There was a lot more physicality at the line of scrimmage. There was a lot more physicality on receivers. They're just I just don't see the innovation that could have worked in the today's game advancing past what Andy Reid and the two, and the 2019 Chiefs have been able to accomplish on offense and continue to accomplish. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would absolutely take the, the 19 uh, Kansas City offense over the 69 Kansas City offense. And um, I think it's a similar argument when you talk about the defensive side of the ball, but I think it's a little bit more – Uh, it's a little bit more even in terms of this comparison between the 2019 Kansas City defense with Matthew and Clark and Jones, Hitchens, versus that 69 Kansas City defense. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it, man. That 69 defense was a lot nastier than I realized. And I would take the 69 Chiefs defense over what they had in 19. Nothing against the Honey Badger or Clark or Jones I would take that 69 defense over the 19 defense I, I in would a agree. heartbeat.
1: I would agree. Over a whole, um, as when you're looking at the defense from 11 players on 11 players, I would probably agree with you. The 69 defense, you know, like you said, Hank Stram coming up with that triple stack defense um and then buck buchanan man he revolutionized that defensive line position and he was he was nasty and like you said it is definitely a little difference coming in from times you know you could do get away with a lot more back in those days which would lead to why they were so nasty right? not to
0: mention how athletes have gotten bigger they've gotten stronger they've gotten faster but there's a lot to be said for fundamentals and being able to coach the game the right way. Exactly. So I, I would definitely say that that '69 Chiefs D was an all-timer, more so than I realized. But here's the question: If you could in a one-on-one matchup between the '69 Chiefs and the 2019 Chiefs, who are you taking? What's the score?
1: Man, I don't know about score, but I would, I would, I would, I would still probably take the 2019 Chiefs. I mean. As as dominant as the defense was that we were just talking about, I mean, if Patrick Mahomes can get rid of the ball in three seconds, four seconds, just throwing it up to Tyreek, then I don't know what else they can do. Like I said, it's a real comparison of two different eras, for sure. Um, but but I would I would probably give give the edge just because of the offensive firepower to to the 2019.
0: I would probably say the same thing. Uh, more than anything, it's because the eras of. You know how, just quite frankly, how the players were built back in the '60s, late early, '60s, early '70s, oh, compared to different. where they, it's completely <laughs> different. Even still, I would actually slant it if I were to give a score prediction. I'd probably say, you know, thirty-one sixteen. I'd actually say the 2019 Chiefs will beat them by two scores. I really do. I don't think that the the '69 Chiefs could keep up, and and nothing against him. It's just a, it's a different era. It's a different era. It's, it's a different different, different complete game
1: plan, just completely different altogether. But because it was 50 years in between, so. But if you were if you were to kind of like you know do like a hybrid deal where you you brought everything into an equal playing field and all that kind of stuff, it'd be a good game. It'd be a good game for sure. But I still believe, like you said, the 2019 offense would put up. At least a good 10, 14 points more.
0: Agreed. All right, guys. Well, again, we really appreciate y'all listening, and we're obviously super stoked to be able to get this second episode out there on the airwaves and out there in the podcast universe. So, again, if you're looking for more awesome content on the historical side of the game and on the present side of the game, you know, make sure to tune into Historically Athletic with uh, Big J and CY the guy. And we're looking forward to our third episode, which will go through uh, week two NFL picks. So, thank y'all so much for having us, and hope you have a great weekend. Later, y'all.